time to start at the beginning. The beginning of the year, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Now, Mark is an action-packed gospel. Jesus, in the book of Mark, hits the ground running. He moves from the calling of his disciples to healing people, to teaching, and then teaching through parables. And then, after ten chapters of the Gospel of Mark, he is off into the city of Jerusalem and entering that city, getting ready for his last and final word to the world. Mark is a rocket-fueled gospel that is driven to share the news of what Jesus does. But even Mark, with all of this action-packed stuff going on within the gospel, even Mark starts elsewhere. Even Mark does not start this story with what Jesus does. Even Mark is first interested in something else, with who Jesus is. And not just who Jesus is, but alongside of that, the spiritual work that is involved in Jesus knowing who Jesus is. You see, behind all of the action, the healing, and the preaching, and the marching into Jerusalem, there is still a very small call that will stay with Jesus throughout his life. And he will spend his life living into this call, but first, he has to prepare. He has to prepare. You see, any action takes preparation. The artist creates a sketch, the architect draws up a plan, the illustrator offers a storyboard, the gardener plots the ground, the shopper makes a list, the scientist collects the data, the physician engages in the full examination, the list goes on. Preparation is essential to action. It is, in fact, the seed of action. And yes, you can do things without preparation, but often in the long run, it is harder. And yes, you can do things without preparation, but along the way, you in fact might lose your way. Preparation, true preparation, it actually forges the seeds of conviction that we might see the thing through. I was stuck recently, struck in an interview with Representative John Lewis that I heard online when he talked about his work that he had done with Martin Luther King, Jr. And as he talked about this and reflected on this, he reflected on the importance of preparation. He said that before he and his colleagues entered into the marches that they had first engaged in the training of nonviolence. And this was a training to know the full scope of what might be able to happen once one was on the field of entering into the marches. To know all of the risks that might be involved. And specifically, as Representative Lewis talked about, to train the mind and the body to not react in violence, but instead in nonviolence. 
You see, when we see all of those photos of all of the sit-ins that happened in Alabama and beyond, what we need to understand is that there were hours and hours of preparation that went into that moment where that photo was taken. And it was the preparation, Mr. Lewis said, that made his mind ready and prepared for the action. And so here, in the beginning of Mark, we have not a Jesus who is yet healing and teaching. We have not a Jesus who is yet breaking bread in the late evening on the open plain. But instead, we have a Jesus who is coming to receive and to prepare. He comes to receive the baptism of John. And John's baptism, and as it says earlier in the Gospel of Mark, was for repentance and for the forgiveness of sins, the Gospel writer tells us. John's baptism, ultimately, as we read those words, needs to be understood as the baptism that brought the hope for renewal. See, repentance and forgiveness of sins within the language of Israel was not just for self, sort of self-reflection. It was a future hope for the community to actually be able to live together in renewal. It was a renewal for people to actually gain hold of their first calling, their true love. And so when Jesus enters into the waters of John's baptism, he is submitting himself to that desire also for the renewal of the people of Israel. He too is coming because there is something that he acknowledges that is in the world that needs to be renewed. And he is coming to receive And then the voice of heaven offers Jesus a word that he will never forget. You are my son, the voice says. You are my son, the beloved, and with you I am well pleased. So much can be said about this sentence, but hopefully it will echo within us and we'll remember the words of Genesis 1, where God says, it is good And Jesus, in these words that God speaks over him in baptism, hears that the confirmation of the created order is, in fact, pleasing to God. You are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. But not only that, tucked into this sentence as well, we have a glimpse into the Trinitarian mystery. This Jesus who God loves, and this is something that we will never fully be able to get our minds wrapped around, but to just reflect on it for a second is amazing. This Jesus who God loves is also the Jesus, the very one who existed before the foundation of the world. The Son is in a meaningful and eternal relationship with the one God. And so as Jesus gets ready to launch into his ministry of healing and teaching and marching into Jerusalem, he first needs to hear these words, a reminder of what he already knows about himself, a reminder of what is, and a reminder that his hope for renewal within the world will be made good through the promises of God. But like any powerful spiritual training. This season of Jesus' life also included challenge, deep challenge. 
You see, all of the Gospels agree that it was the Spirit who drove Jesus into the wilderness. You see, sometimes we lose sight of that. As we read about the temptations, we know that Jesus was in the wilderness and tempted. But all of the Gospels remind us that the Spirit actually drove him there. The God that spoke the words of eternal belovedness, the God that reminded Jesus that he was with him from the beginning of time, this is the very same God who also drives him into the challenge of temptation. You see, from the very beginning, Jesus had to be clear about which voice he was going to listen to. Was he going to listen to the voice of love? Or was he going to listen to the voice of temptation? Was he going to cling to his baptism of renewal? Or in the secret of the wilderness, was he going to let that calling, in fact, slip through his fingers? These first verses of Mark will set the trajectory for the rest of Jesus' ministry, even for the rest of his life. So it turns out, friends, that the beginning of the Gospel of Mark is actually one of the most important parts of the whole thing. It's the first word that sets us on the journey for where we're going in this Gospel. The seed of Jesus' work and ministry, the seed of his future choices, the seed of his calling to offer himself in love, this all comes from these stories of quiet preparation. Now, friends, when we read the Gospel of Mark, we need to remember that we are not called to be Jesus. We are not the Messiah. We can let that idea go. But by the power of the Spirit, we are called to be the ones who walk in the footsteps of the Beloved One. By the power of the Spirit, We are called to be the ones who walk in the footsteps of Jesus. This, in fact, is our calling. So whenever we read the gospel, we do two things. We first acknowledge that the work of salvation has actively happened in the person of Jesus Christ, and it has been offered to us. And the second thing that we do is that we offer then our lives up to God to be able to live in the footsteps of Jesus himself. So we don't say we follow Jesus in the sense that we might follow a great teacher. Because we acknowledge that he has offered us salvation, which is the very ability to be able to follow in his footsteps in in the beginning. But we don't stop there. We also choose to walk in those footsteps. We offer ourselves up. And that's what the gospel will continue to invite us to do as we walk down this journey of the gospel of Mark. And that means that we don't read stories like this one and then close the book. We instead ask ourselves, how are we being prepared? How are we being prepared? Where are we hearing God call us back to that voice of belovedness? Where are we hearing the beloved name of God for our own lives? And where are we, by the power of the Spirit, being driven into the place of our deep challenge? Because those two things are happening. 
You see, the voice of God always calls us into our own belovedness and drives us into a place of deep challenge. We all have the place where our, our own identity can be challenged, where that voice of belovedness starts to come into play and we're wondering whether or not it's true, whether it's trustworthy, whether or not we can believe it. And the temptations that arrive within that space are very natural and they probably happen to all of us. We start to believe that our gift from, to the world will come from our own power. We start to believe that it is something that we have accumulated that we will be able to offer to the world. Or we start to believe that our gift to the world will come instead from our own sophistication, that we have learned enough to be able to offer something to the world. Or we start to believe that we have the actual inner resources to be able to make our ministry known within the world. And friends, this text hits us right from the beginning to say, no, that in fact is not where the story is going to begin. That's not where the story of Jesus' ministry begins, and that's not where the story of the ministry of his church, of those who follow in Jesus' footstep, that's not the place where their story will begin either. But right from the beginning, God is clear that our work in the world will come instead from our own belovedness from a place in which we are hearing that voice tell us who we are, tell us that it is good, tell us that we are loved. And it comes from holding that space, space firm, not in the absence of challenge, but in the presence of challenge. You see, so many times we think that our belovedness is held in the secret of our own heart, right? As long as we know it, then it's okay. But no, this is actually something that's played out within the context of the world. This is something that we practice in our deep challenge. It's something that we practice in our own wilderness. It's the actual biggest tool that we have as we march onto the scene of what ministry we want to offer to the world. It's not a secret. It's something that actually needs to take flesh and shape within our own lives. And so as we begin our work here at Northminster in this year of 2018, these are our two words for us as we enter into this space of what is our ministry, where is God calling us, what is it that we can do within this space of Ballard and beyond. Number one, we hold on to our own belovedness. We are not Jesus, but we follow in his footsteps by the gift of salvation that has been offered to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is how this works. Okay, so we offer ourselves in grace. And the second is that we are not afraid of our challenge. We don't shy away from our deepest place of fear and challenge, but instead we enter into it fully knowing that it is our belovedness that is going to see us through. And it is from those two things, challenge and belovedness, from which the rest of our ministry will flow. There is no other way. This is the way that the Spirit works in the heart of Jesus. 
And we are nothing if we are not followers of the person of Jesus Christ. And so we should imagine that it is this very invitation that is offered to us as well. Let us count it a privilege. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this text that is given to us today, the text that is offered to us as gift of confirmation of salvation, but also as invitation and opportunity for ways to us, for us to enter into this work that you are doing within the world. Though you completed the work of salvation, you, by the power of your spirit, ask us to enter into it as well. And we pray that you would also give us the strength to do that. By the power of your spirit, let us not be afraid of our places of deep challenge. Let us see them as the places that the spirit is calling us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.